I'm your host, Josh Buckhalter. We got a big, big show, a lot to get into, so let's get right into it. Uh, first things first, though, follow me on Twitter at Josh G. Buck. Hit up the Facebook page at Jukes and Jumps. Hit up the website, jukesandjumpers.wordpress.com, and the email address is jukesjumps at gmail.com. First things first, though, we got to recap the wild card, NFL wildcard playoff round just took over this weekend. A wild, wild bunch of games. Nothing was clean. It was it was all ugly. I mean, it was it was ugly from start to finish. But very exciting, very thrilling. Came down to the wire. All four games really. There was some some intrigue at some point in time. First game was the Buffalo Bills and the uh, the Houston Texans. Texans came out on top of that one. Deshaun Watson. I don't know how many more superlatives I can throw on this young man. But every time I watch him play, I'm more and more saddened by the fact that the Chicago Bears didn't even bother to meet with him. That's that's very disappointing when you see the type of uh, plays that he's able to pull off on the field and really what he's able to do simply out of the design of the play, outside of the design of the play. Something that when you watch Mitchell Trubisky play, you want him to be able to do to take command of the offense and be able to make those kind of plays. He doesn't break down defenses yet enough. That's according to his coach. That's something we'll talk about later. But in this game, Deshaun Watson was simply unreal he ended up escaping uh two defenders coming at him for a sack converging upon him for a sack to set up the game-winning field goal for the texans and honestly it was one of the wildest plays ever because as it's happening you just see him getting scissored by these two defenders and all you could think to yourself is oh well that's you know clearly a sack and no he he somehow catches them at the right way where they just turn him around and he ends up firing a shot and they end up getting the game-winning field goal. And it's really rough on the Bills because they had such a great season, 10 wins, or plus, you know, over 10 wins, and just making the playoffs. They had made it a couple years ago, but we know the, the history of Buffalo. And when they got there, Josh Allen's warts showed. In the playoffs, that's what happens. You're, all warts get exposed when, that, when it comes playoff time. And Allen struggled with his IQ. He had a lateral late in the game that was really uncalled for. And I mean, like, just the wildest pitch back you've ever seen in your life to an unsuspecting teammate, and it almost cost him the game there. But he also had to throw deep down the field to the fullback where a play where it was two defenders around, so it was already ill-advised throw. But then he does it to the fullback, like I said, and that's just not a proper target for a deep pass anyway, let alone one who's covered by two defenders. So you just saw some of those, some of that rawness that, was associated with him when he was coming out of college. Clearly, he's not over that yet. He's had made major strides this year, and he, I'm very impressed by what he's done and what he can do going forward. But he clearly has some things to iron out uh, as a young player in this league, as most young players do. But it was just a rough game for them because it just seemed like they were shooting themselves in the foot. Sean McDermott, the head coach, we know comes from the Andy Reid coaching tree. You know the jokes about them how Andy Reid gets conservative and blows leads. Well, they had a 16 point lead. The Bills did and, and let it go because they just went into a shell and, and seemed like they forgot how to attack this very, very vulnerable Texas defense, especially that secondary. J.J. Watt came back and he made an impact. He definitely made an impact with the stop 
late in the game that clearly turned the tides. But you just can't help but feel like Buffalo gave this one away. Josh Allen gave this one away with the decisions that they were making, like I said, coaching-wise and from the quarterback position. But Deshaun Watson, man, seeing him get out of that tackle and then set up that, that, that field goal, they were down and they looked really odd. And before the game last week in the, the last episode, I said that that offense is kind of all or nothing. It's feast or famine between him and, and Nuke, which, by the way, Nuke ate. He had over 90 yards. But they were lack, they were missing Will Fuller. And if you watched the broadcast, you heard that Will Fuller was out about 150 million times. Probably the most annoying part of that game was hearing, they're, out, they're without Will Fuller, they're without their deep threat, they're without Will Fuller. We got it. But I think what you saw was when you have that kind of quarterback, when you have that guy at quarterback, you're never out of it. And especially when you play a team like the Buffalo Bills. But more importantly, when you have that quarterback who can make those kind of plays, the game is not over until the clock hits triple zero. See how I worked that in there? But I, I think what's, what's, like I said from the beginning, or at the beginning, is most heartbreaking is that this was a, a quarterback who my favorite team didn't even bother to meet with. And you just wonder when you see plays like that, juxtaposed with the indecisiveness and the poor decisions made by the quarterback in this town. And you just wonder how, what evaluations was he watching? I know coming out of college, a lot of the rankings had Trubisky as the top quarterback, but that was questionable too. I don't think it necessarily absolves Ryan Pace in any way, shape or form. I think it kind of puts more of a damning light on the evaluators of the, the position. I know Watson had the knee injuries, but I think basketball players have shown us that ACLs aren't necessarily what they once were. Hello, Derrick Rose. Um, I think that playing that kind of scared maneuver is, first of all, a Chicago staple when it comes to selecting talent. But more importantly, something that will keep you in that mediocre sports hell, a place that I often talk about where you're not getting any better, but you're not getting worse. You're kind of just treading water in that mediocre level where no no sports fan really wants to be because you want to root for it, but you just know that the ceiling is nowhere near the roof, to put it in terms that Michael Jordan might say. I just don't know what else do you what else you could say about Deshaun Watson other than he's a magician. And I think it was Pat McAfee on Twitter uh, tweeted out that the Houston Houdini, he's just he just does it week after week and it's it's really wild to see. It's impressive and I wish I could say that he was doing it for the city of Chicago, but they blew that one and looks like it's something that they're going to be regretting for quite some time because that that kid is special. The next game, the Tennessee Titans took out the New England Patriots and this was one that surprised me. I remember in the beginning of last week, I said that I was kind of in a position where I could see the Titans winning this game because of the knowledge that of that system of Tom Brady that Mike Brable has as a player who went against him every day in practice. And then the running game. Now, we know that the Patriots, I talked about the Patriots, had shut down the run for much of the season. They only had two, I think two teams reached 100 yards on the ground against them. Well, Derrick Henry went out and had a 34-carry, 182-yard, one-touchdown game. That dude's a man. And to show you how much of an impact it was and the rest of this team, Ryan Tannehill, who had been lights out leading up in this, you know, he's 7-3 as a starter since taking over the job from Marcus Mariota, who made an appearance, by the way, as a gadget player. Mariota, or Tannehill, was only 8 of 15, 53%, 72 yards and one touchdown. Now, he did have the touchdown, like I said, but it wasn't a spectacular game from him by any stretch. It was kind of a mediocre Ryan Tannehill game, save for the touchdown from his Dolphin days. But that defense 
held the Patriots to 13 points. And that kind of leads me to my next point. You hear a lot of the talk, Tom Brady's future is uncertain and unsettled right now. Is he going to stay with New England? Is he going to keep playing, first of all? Is he going to remain with New England after that? And then if not, where could he land? And obviously with Chicago being one of the tossed about, which I highly doubt, but tossed about locales, I could, this has a certain interest to me. I do think that in this game he played bad. 50%, 54% completion, 29 yards in the game, not game losing, but kind of the ceiling pick six. They didn't have much time anyway. They were down by one, 14-13, but he threw a pick six at the end of the game. He had no receivers record over 30 yards. That was Julian Edelman. James White had 62. Ben Watson had 38, and Rex Burkhead had 32. Rex Burkhead had 32. Sonny Michelle had 60 yards on the ground, and the defense only gave up 14 points. So... Edelman's also beat up, so let's not. I don't want to necessarily say that he had the 30 yards and that was like, oh, that's that's such a bad. He was he's clearly not 100% healthy, but you see the lack of weapons, and people are using this to knock the goat out of Tom Brady. Whatever. This is not this is not that discussion. What it is a discussion of is I don't necessarily think that any quarterback will thrive with the decimation at the skill position that they've gone through. They lost Gronkowski. They lost Antonio Brown. Well, Antonio Brown lost himself, and then they ended up having to cut him. They traded a number two, a second-round pick for Muhammad Sanu. I don't know how the Patriots got fleeced for a second-round pick for Muhammad Sanu, but they did. And it didn't pay off. And then you had the two young guys, Nikhil Harry and Jacoby Myers, who you have to count on. You know that system's complicated, so it limits what you can really do in terms of the versatility of that offense. And I just wonder if this should be it for Tom Brady. Before the playoffs started, I said one of my Super Bowl matchups that I really wanted to see was New England versus New Orleans. So we can get a Drew Brees and Tom Brady matchup before it was all said and done. That's likely not going to happen right now. I have to imagine at least one of them is going to go. Maybe not, but I just don't see it being... It wouldn't be the same if they moved on, period. So while we might still get a legendary matchup if they do return, I just don't see it being anywhere near the type of the level of, of expectation that it would have been if it would have been Patriots Saints. I just don't know if we'll be able to get that. But if he does stick around, is it on him? Because, again, they've made their whole career about being kind of an amoeba on offense where they just shapeshift and do whatever they have to do depending on who they have. And... That defense still only gave up 14 points. Again, he threw that pick six is why it ended up being 2013. I think the question really just has to be, is it Brady or was it a matter of the rest of the team not being up to snuff? And I guess that really depends on what you think of Brady in the first place and what you think of the cast that they put together. It was already a depleted group, like I said, but it didn't get any better as the season went on, and he hasn't looked good. So that was a tough one. That's why when the week started, I said I wasn't surprised. I ended up leaning back towards the Patriots as the week went on because of that rushing. I looked at those rushing stats. But Derrick Henry is a man. Now, they're going to face a souped-up version of themselves when they take on the Ravens. But for at least this week, the Titans have seemingly taken down the Patriots dynasty because it sure felt like an end of an era Sir, uh, with with how Brady was talking, he wasn't talking like he was going to retire, but he didn't sound necessarily certain that he was going to be back in New England either. And we know that it, that there's been, we don't know, but we we have heard the rumors that there's been some kind of an internal power struggle back and forth with, is it time or is it is it 
Belichick and how they seemingly wanted to try to outlast each other. Who knows how that's going to end up playing out. But it didn't look good for Brady. Let me tell you, if this was it, boy, that did not look good regardless of who was out there. He was he looked a little skittish. He was missing receivers. It just didn't look good. The NFC took over on Sunday. You had the Vikings coming out on top of the Saints this time in New Orleans. So despite all that hype video from Drew Brees, from Drew Brees and the talk of the Minneapolis miracle and how everybody was upset and the Saints got jobbed again because, first of all, we're going to start at the ending. Kirk Cousins threw the game-winning touchdown to Kyle Rudolph. And the best part about it to me, and I'll, I'll say best, like, in a macabre sort of way because the person who got the touchdown caught on them was Marcus Williams. If you recall, during the Minneapolis Miracle, Marcus Williams was the one who made that missing tackle. We covered that in the last episode that allowed Stephon Diggs to run to the end zone. He was playing some kind of wild coverage against Rudolph in the end zone, wasn't looking at the ball, and ended up getting OPI. Rudolph actually gives him a pretty solid arm out and to, to give himself some space and catches the, the winning touchdown. And it's wild because they didn't even review it. They didn't even bother to review it. And Marcus Williams has got to be like, man, I am just, this is, he might just have to move on. I'm not sure that he can work in New Orleans because every, like, finishing blow, bad play happens on him. Well, not every, obviously, but man. And then you had the, the pass interference last year with uh, Nicole Roby. And it, COVID, it's just bad. It's bad for the Saints. This is not how any of them want to go. And if I had to put money on it right now, if, I'm, if we're going back to the Patriots, if I had to put money on, on Tom Brady or Drew Brees returning, I would say Drew Brees because, man, they just keep – they have to be feeling scorned. I know you never leave it in the hands of the refs anyway, but, man, that's rough. To not even have it get reviewed is rough. Now, when you dig a little bit deeper, I mentioned Cousins had the game-winning touchdown – you do wonder if this is him exercising his demons or if it was the Saints giving it away. He had 61% completion, just over, 242 yards, and that one touchdown. He didn't seem great the whole game. He was off early. Cam Jordan, I think, spoke to the silent reporter and told her that that was one of the keys was to get him off and get him skittish because he gets rattled if you get to him early. They did that, but he settled himself down and, and ended up leading a lot of drives. Dalvin Cook had almost 100 yards on the ground. The weird thing that came out of the Vikings, though, they were winning most of this game, was Stephon Diggs on the sideline throwing his helmet and, and visibly upset that he wasn't getting targeted. Like I said, while his team was, was winning the game, he ended up getting a, a couple of handoffs and ended up with some yardage. But at the end of the game, he was caught on camera, and it was it was probably a little bit of selling by Sean Payton, but he was caught on camera with Sean Payton. Payton's arm is extended to give him a handshake or, you know, Good game, handshake, and Diggs is doing the motorbike on him. And it's just not a good look because you got the one picture of him looking like he's about to go cry in the car. And then the next picture, he out here motorbike. And I get it, you won, but you can't pout, especially when you're winning. Now, no one knows what was being said on the sideline at that point in time, what necessarily what he was frustrated with, but it would be assumed that it was lack of targets. And if you're upset and you're really throwing your helmet in a game where your team is up, for a chance to go to the next round of the playoffs, that's really not a good look. For all the talk about uh, Odell Beckham, I think that this is something that even Odell wouldn't be caught on the sidelines doing because whether or not you have, you could just sit there. You don't got to throw the helmet and stuff and then being restrained by it. It was just a bad look all around. Diggs is my guy. I really like Stephon Diggs, but that's not not a good look at all. Drew Brees, see Tom Brady. 
He didn't look good. He had two costly turnovers. He had an interception early. I believe it was right before the first half ended. And this is after the Saints had an NFL record low eight turnovers throughout the season, mind you. He also had a fumble that just was looked like he couldn't move in the pocket. He tried to do too much. And I didn't really like the fact that he threw a receiver under the bus. And I actually took a screenshot because when I was reading it, it kind of caught me off guard because I didn't think somebody like a Drew Brees, the leader that he is, would go about airing somebody out this way. But his, his comments were, quote, the ball should have been out of my hands. And all of a sudden, that wasn't the route that was run. So now I'm just trying to throw the ball into the dirt to avoid a sack, Brees said. Right as my hand's going back, Hunter just kind of gets a piece of my arm and that ball comes out. So I'm really disappointed in that. That never should have happened. That's disturbing because he could clearly be talking about he's disappointed that he dropped the ball. But it's kind of set up in a way, the way my bank account's set up, (laughs) it's kind of set up in a way where he's telling you, yeah, the receiver ran the round route, so I fumbled it. Like, I get it on the pick, but it's kind of hard to throw it on the fumble. Now, I get it. I get what he's saying, but it's just not, again, we're talking about looks right now. We're just talking about Stephon Diggs and how the appearance was of that. This is a very similar situation or very similar instance. I just don't know what he thought was going to be accomplished by saying it. Granted, he's telling the truth in part, I'm sure. When you go ahead and check the film, I'm sure you can see a receiver who does something that he's not supposed to. That's the moment you see Breeze double clutch. But the fact of the matter is you fumbled. It wasn't a pick. So I don't know how much he thought he stood to gain by by saying it that way, by phrasing it that way, but just reading it, and again, I could be looking way too much into it, but just looking at it at a glance, I was like, ugh, I don't know about that one, Chief. I don't know. That's that's not it. And then he was sacked three times, but Alvin Kamara, they talked about how he didn't have 100 yards in most of his games this year, and had 21 yards this game on the ground. He had a touchdown. He had eight catches for 34 yards, and you just wonder... They kind of missed that presence of Mark Ingram. Latavius Murray was still a very solid runner, but, and you notice this with the Ravens this year, Mark Ingram brings a certain kind of energy when he runs, a kind of of ferocity that you don't get with Latavius Murray, who's a freight train, the the Tay train. He's a different kind of power back. It's just a different kind of a feel. If you've watched any Ravens games, you've seen when Mark Ingram runs, it's kind of a juice to it. You just don't get that with Latavius. You kind of need to see him build up the speed, and then he gets to the steamrolling guys when he gets going. But the Ra- the Saints, a team who's very powered by emotion and, and that kind of energy, misses a player like Mark Ingram, and I think that's one of the things that they missed most this year. The last matchup of the weekend was the Seahawks taking on the Philadelphia Eagles. The Seahawks pass rush got to Philadelphia quarterback seven times. Josh McCown got six sacked six times. Carson Wentz got one. Yes, you heard me correct. Josh McCown got sacked six times. McCown came in because Carson Wentz took a helmet-to-helmet hit on a tackle from behind by Jadavin Clowney. Many people were saying that the hit was intentional. The He drove his helmet into him. I'm not sure I believe that. Falling down, I don't know how many players have the wherewithal to aim their helmet. If you look at the video, it looks like he aims his helmet at the back. It does look like it in slow-mo, step-by-step. But I'm not sure. You have to be all sorts of have, like, your wherewithal has to be on Matrix-style levels to have the focus to know how to aim yourself while in midair yourself as a six foot five, two 260-some-odd pound defensive lineman to pinpoint in the back of the head. Now, it's very unfortunate. I hope he's okay because concussions are very scary things to go through. But I think we take a leap when we start accusing everything of being intentional. That one was a little bit much. 
that's a little bit much. The Miles Garrett thing, I was kind of with everybody. Like, I don't know what he thought he was doing, swinging the helmet on him. You know, you could say he said whatever to Garrett in the first place, and you could say that he was twisting his helmet up. That's cool. He's still trying to knock him out with the helmet. I don't care. That's that's all I'm commenting on at this point in time. Same thing here. I don't know what the... I don't think there was any intent here, but it still not went out. And it's unfortunate because he was playing really well. He was the, the sole stabilizing factor. They actually commented on that during the game, how it had become him who was the veteran voice in the room about the offense. Remember, he missed the, the run to the Super Bowl, and he's been living in the shadow of Nick Foles since that time. And he had really taken over at the end of this year, and to see him go down with that injury, and obviously you had the people come out with the, oh, injuries, he's injury prone, and He's not going to shake that love label with this. I just don't know if it's necessarily fair because a concussion, again, a head injury, everybody's susceptible to a head, head injury. That's not that's not injury prone. That's soft tissue kind of stuff. And maybe even some, some breaking of the bones, even though that's even more random. I don't think a head injury should qualify you as being injury prone, but people going people. What else can I say? That does kind of, it do, did kind of throw a wrench this weekend, did kind of throw a wrench to my Super Bowl matchup preview, dream matchups, whatever, however you want to phrase it, that knocked out my misery bowl, uh, my misery bowl of the Bills and the Vikings, it also knocked out the possibility, like I said, of the Pats and the Saints, however, I do have some other ones that are really high on my list, top two especially, the Chiefs Packers, I don't want the Packers to win the Super Bowl, I'm a bear, listen, let me just get that out of the way, okay? I don't want the Packers to make it to the Super Bowl. Definitely don't want them to win it. But I think that would be a cool game to watch. You'd have Aaron Rodgers versus Patrick Mahomes. I think the NFL would like that for 1 to 100. You know, they've gone through painstaking measures to make sure to have so many of these um, historic matchups be replayed in primetime this year. I think that's that would be just Roger Goodell and the owner's dream. Maybe not the owner's because only two of those owners would be really happy about that. But... That would be uh, the schedule makers and Goodell's dream would be to have the Packers Chiefs. And it would be a great matchup. But who doesn't want to see Mahomes and Rodgers and two defenses who have been vastly improved after being the downfall of these teams for years. So I think that would be a great one to watch. But personally, I like to see the Ravens and the Seahawks. On one side, you have the MVP, a guy who I've been championing for since he before he won the Heisman at Louisville, Lamar Jackson, and that Mark Ingram, that defense, Earl Thomas will get his revenge against a chance to get a revenge against Pete Carroll and the Seahawks. And then you got on the Seattle side, Marshawn Lynch and Russell Wilson. Russ has earned a lot of my respect. I thought he was a little bit of a gimmick, but he's proven to just be all that they have, (laughs) especially when you have to go and get Marshawn Lynch out of retirement. But beast mode, I'd love to see him get another chance to get it at the one yard line to see if he can write it. Now, he wouldn't do it against the Patriots, obviously now, but that matchup against the Ravens would be two quarterbacks who kind of forced the opinion to change. I wouldn't say they broke the mold on quarterback archetypes because we know that we've seen them before. Russ, we've seen the Doug Flutie types. Lamar, we've seen RG3 and the Mike Vick types, but they've kind of changed the perception further. We've pushed the conversation forward further in the the breaking the mold of, of the traditional pocket passer, six foot five drop back guy. That would be cool to have this Super Bowl feature these two guys, I think. And then the next two, kind of some odd matchups. The last one especially is an odd one. But this one, 
the Titans and the 49ers, I think they'll be interesting because you have the league's leading rusher in Derrick Henry versus the leading rushing team in the, if they're even not leading their, their top three because I know the, the Ravens were battling up there too. But the 49ers, we know that rushing attack where they have everybody who can, I think they're close to three guys with over 1,000 yards on the ground. That defense is nasty. Titans defense is underrated. I do think the Niners will win that game ultimately, and I don't think the Ravens will be the very grid because I don't know who wants to watch the Titans in the Super Bowl, and I'm not necessarily sold that the Niners should be there. I could always, I'm always willing to be proven wrong, but I just don't think that they, they are. I've been doubting them every step of the way, and here they are. So a lot of good that's dummy, but I think that would be a good matchup just to see if you want to watch some ground pound, some defensive smash mouth, old school football, Titans and 49ers would be a good game. And then the last one was better and would be better. It would have been better uh, if they'd made it, obviously, but it eliminated Texans Eagles. That was the one I think that would have been kind of a odd matchup. Two defensive lines that are good against the run, squeaky, leaky secondaries, and two quarterbacks who can make some things happen in Winston Watson. That would have been a good matchup. We don't get to see that anymore. So we're left with the three that I said. I, I kind of I grouped that one in with the to hope for, and that was that was supposed to be an eraser. But Seahawks, Ravens, Chiefs, Packers, and Titans, 49ers, obviously the top two, like I said, are personally Seahawks, Ravens, and then probably for the league, Chiefs, Packers. Chiefs, Packers would probably be the best one because I'm not sold that the Seahawks are really that good of a team, especially defensively. I know they went after the Eagles, but I think a lot of that had to do with Josh McCown coming in cold off the pine. I am, though... I would love to see a Chiefs-Packers matchup, and I would be rooting for Andy Reid and the Chiefs like never before because I just couldn't stand to see the Packers get another one before the Bears are able to do what they need to do and bring home another ship. Now, that being said, the Bears, before we wrap up the NFL segment with some coaching hires around the NFL, the Bears, I told you, made some interesting talk conversations at their presser when they said that they were sticking with Mitch Trubisky. Beyond that, though, I just want to stress it's important to wait to see what they do. They're talking like they're going to bring in an Alex Smith type to be a mentor and in an emergency case be a starter until they pick the next guy. But if they don't learn, they didn't learn from the Jaguars, they're going to stick with them. They may not pay him, so they won't go full Jaguars, but they definitely can't go full Rams and pay him that exorbitant amount that they paid Jared Goff. That's where you end up getting the problems of being locked in. Now the Rams are struggling to even have a salary cap. Their salary cap issues are are crazy. They've been trading guys in and out, and now they're kind of stuck where they are and don't know necessarily how they're going to make everything worth it. Just let go of Wade Phillips, and we'll just see how they are because they are saddled with the quarterback who is still being coach from the sidelines like he's in college and that's something that people were talking about last year and it seems to still be a problem this year because you can see it at times when he doesn't have that play worked out all the way through by McVay Jared Goff looks a little bit awesome I just don't want the Bears to fall into that trap they're going to keep Trubisky I don't think that I ever realistically expect them to move on from him but I was hoping they would bring in some stiffer competition doesn't sound like we'll get that it sounds like we'll get an Alex Smith type to be an upgrade over Chase Daniel and probably push Mitch for a possible starting nod. And then Marcus Marriott also seems to be out because of the firing of Mark Helfrich. I just, I, this is one of the, of the wildest things because you've seen the evidence that sticking by a quarterback is not as is foolish. 
and will end up getting you fired, especially when he's shown as little as Mitch has. And we've been calling it all season that they were going to use those line games as progress, and it's fool's gold. But so be it. Not my money. All I do is write about it. Last word on pro football, by the way. And if they come out of it on top, so be it. But I just don't know that they're going to – If they this failure to admit that you were wrong in your draft assessment has plagued the Bulls, it's plagued the Cubs, and now it's plaguing the Bears. And it's plagued them before. And it's just a shame that they're going to waste another great defense trying to stand by their man on some Tammy Wynette stuff with the quarterback that really looks like he should be a backup. Some real quick coaching news. The Cowboys hired Mike McCarthy less than a day after firing Jason Garrett. They didn't really fire him. They let his contract kind of end. They told him that he wouldn't be back, but they hired Mike McCarthy. He's rumored to be keeping Kellen Moore. He hired Mike Nolan. I love the Mike Nolan hires the defensive coordinator, especially for that defense. It sounds like they'll be switching to a 3-4 again, which would be interesting with how they have their linebacker set up. Maybe Sean Lee won't be back next year. The thing that's weird, though, two things that's weird. They interviewed Marvin Lewis, who supposedly had a stipulation that he had to bring on Hugh Jackson. I don't know about any of that, but that seems to be their way of fulfilling the Rooney rule because they went immediately then and hired Mike McCarthy. If Marvin Lewis is fine with being the token, whatever. I think that's a slap in the face to what the rules intended to be, and I think that it's a joke that they were able to get away with that and no one's saying too much about it. You've had some people bring it up, but it's just getting a little bit less blowback than I think it should. But it follows the Redskins moving quickly as well in hiring Ron Rivera. And you just wonder if the Rooney Rule A is being, it's, well, it's not even a question. The Rooney Rule is being neglected and being kind of abused in the way that they're just kind of throwing these names out there and then moving on to somebody else. We'll see what, what happens, but... I don't like it. It didn't sound right, and hopefully it works out for them, but I just didn't like that they went with Marvin Lewis and then quickly, so fast it went to. Now, maybe they heard the Hugh Jackson thing, and they were like, oh, no, 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 which I totally understand. <laughs> but it just seemed like they picked him out at random because he hasn't had much success to, to justify this, to justify that hire. It will be interesting to see how the Cowboys operate next year. They had a little trouble with getting pass happy under Kellen Moore when he was guiding the offense. That's what caused Jason Garrett to snatch back some of the reins. McCarthy had a tendency to stray away from the run his last year in Green Bay. So with Zeke and the $100 million contract, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. But I also wonder if they got the best coach. If they should have, I think they should have went for Rivera. I think they should have jumped on Rivera, let him come back. He played for the Cowboys. He got his career start at the Cowboys. I think that would have been a great, great place for him to land, especially get that defense right, and then he could have kept Kellen Moore, and they would have been able to run the offense, and he would have, if anything, his his input on the offense would have just been to run the ball more. I don't know why that wasn't their first move, but they ended up with McCarthy, and they seemed to like the hire, so so be it. That does leave uh, the, the Giants kind of snoozing out there. They were rumored to be interested in Mike McCarthy. Could they get Jason Garrett? Rumor has it that the Browns are clinging to Josh, Josh McDaniels. Could he end up with the Giants? That would be a good place for him to go. Just keep watching. Keep watching for the – who else is, is is open right now? The Browns' job is still – I just said the Josh McDaniels. It's just – I'm, I'm kind of stuck. I'm just kind of stuck on the Mike McCarthy one. That's that's a weird – as a person, like I said, as a Bears fan, watching McCarthy and watching how that, that offense kind of cratered 
around him with a Hall of Fame quarterback, I'm just not sure what more they think they're going to get out of the Dak and company. Unless they, unless their their idea behind this is to reinforce it, and but that just seems to go against having Zeke, and you paid him all that money. I just don't know. I don't know. I think Rivera would have been a better hire. I think that, I told you last episode. I think the Skins made a great hire. So that that. We'll see. Cowboys been a cowboy, and I can't talk as a Bears fan. I just told you what they're going through. It's mighty rough right about now. We're going to switch gears real quick to the NBA, and the first thing I got to talk about with the NBA is James Harden, the leader for the MVP award. Now, I know Giannis is probably at the top of a lot of people's list, but we have to think about this. Harden is averaging 38 points right now, 38, 6, and 7, I believe, something along those lines. But there has been five players to average. It's been 38 points has been averaged five times over the years. All of them were in the 60s, except for this one. So four out of the five were in the 60s. Will Chamberlain did it three times, and Elgin Baylor did it once. James Harden has more 50-point games, 50-plus point games, five, than he has games under 20 points, one. We know the streaks. We know the, the score. We know, I know everybody hates the style to watch it. You know, people complain about how he's just cheating and getting in the free throw line. He's gaming the system, and this, that, and the third. I don't really care. Point is, the man gets buckets, and he's getting them at an incredible rate, and he's doing things that we haven't seen before. I don't necessarily know why people hate when you see innovation in the game. Now, I don't think it'll catch on because not everybody can get to the rim at will. He's built up that kind of credibility that he's always shooting, and we know he can get fired, get hot. And you know, I have a soft spot for this team because Russ is my favorite player, and I think that they're going to do. They could, I think they could make some noise if they play like they can play. I just. I, is Harden going for another MVP, or is it have people kind of become numb to that blatant, not stat chase, but he's definitely he definitely puts a priority on individual awards, and I don't want to say in comparison to the team award, but I will say in comparison to others and what they publicly say about trying to chase those awards, and I think that kind of sours people. Whether we want to admit it or not, the voters for the for the awards are human. And if we're going to sit there and act like they're not being biased when they go there and they lay down that that vote, I think we're lying to ourselves. So I refuse to do that, <laughs> first and foremost. I think that there could be some 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 tire here. Remember, Harden talked about there's that media narrative. But when he said that, I also said, you've got to kind of stop talking about it and just let your game speak for itself. The man's killing right now, and I just don't know if we can necessarily say that it's out of the question that he's the MVP. I know we want to give it to Giannis because everybody likes Giannis. But you got to be honest with yourself. Harden's doing things that we have not seen before. Pure and simple. And a quick one, we're going to switch gears. This is a quick bullet point before I head to the Bulls and wrap it up for this episode. Who is more important to the Los Angeles Clippers, Kawhi or PG? And I ask this, I'm not going to get too deep in the stance to go too, too deep into their schedule. But most recently, we've had the Knicks, the Clippers beat the Knicks by three in an insanely high-scoring game, 138 to like 135, something like that, with Paul George. But they lost. They got blown out by the Grizzlies by 26. And I think it's kind of hard to say. I've seen a lot of this talk back and forth is what spurred this question. I've seen a lot of talk back and forth about who's more important. I don't necessarily know that there is a more important. I think that's why Kawhi wanted Paul George. I think, I've told you many times, I don't think Paul George is a Batman. I think he's a Nightwing. But I think he's a Nightwing who on any, on any given night could give you, could be a Batman. I just don't think in a seven-game series that he could be that guy. Kawhi, however, I think is mostly that guy. 
I think that in the regular season, we see his body is broken down. That's that's the scary part about it. I think his body is breaking down on him. But how slow? Who knows? But I think more importantly is that he is that finisher. He is that guy that when they need it, that's who they're going to lean on. Paul George can get you from, from you know, the, the two and the three. He can get you the middle course, but you want Kawhi to kind of get you the set the tone and to finish it off, especially finishing it off. And I've said it since before the season started that the both of those LA teams specifically but the Clippers are going to be a team that's ready for the postseason because when things slow down it becomes a lot of iso ball and they got two of the better iso players on both sides so that's going to be that's where you're going to look for for them I don't think that these any of these questions are really too relevant but it, it's kind of a fun thing to wonder about because we know the heights that Kawhi reached this summer winning the the championship with the Raptors last year what we know the natural ability that Paul George has always possessed the scoring ability the length the defending he was in MVP talks last year I don't think that there's anyone that's more important though I think that what they bring is complimentary in that it's Kawhi probably is a little bit better on a little bit better on ball defense and PG is a better score, but they meet in the middle somewhere. It's some kind of a, a basketball perfection nirvana where they just kind of, that is a great fit. It's a really great fit. And if they can figure out a way to get probably another ball handle, another playmaker, a true point guard, if they can get Kyleson, that'd be great for them. But they need that and they need another big. They, them and the Lakers really need the same thing. It's kind of funny. But. I, I just don't I don't get too wrapped up in this one. I think it's funny that people are asking. I think that they are equally important to each other and to the team's success. I just think that if you're if you're trying to judge it that way, then you're not gonna ever get a true answer because they don't really bring the same thing despite them being two of the best players in the NBA period. They are still varied in how they're what they bring to the table. The Memphis Grizzlies find themselves who I told you that they, they just blew out the Clippers while we transitioned there. Very smooth, right? The Grizzlies are now sitting a game, a half game out of the eighth seed in the West. They, to me, are this year's Kings. The Kings are a team who was exciting. They, they had the young players that seemed to be coming together at the right time, but they ultimately Kings themselves and kept themselves out of the playoffs last year. I don't see that happening with the Grizzlies. I think the, Chris, the Grizzlies, with the foundation that they have as an organization, now we know the front office and the coaching staff is different. And they're, they're, they got a lot of young guys, kind of some mismatched pieces too. But I think the Grizzlies have the 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 foundation, the history to kind of build upon the success and, and keep it rolling. We've talked about the Spurs who are sitting right now in the eighth spot in the West, how they're looking to actually trade people off possibly. I could definitely see the Grizzlies taking over that AC. And I don't know about making too much noise, but getting there early would be great for the development of Josh, uh, for Jaron Jackson and John Morant. That'd be something to see. And then maybe they pull up Josh Jackson out of the G League. Who knows? That's where I was going with that. But they just had, I think they had, they averaged, they had four starters average 20 points or put 20 points on the Clippers the other night. This is a young team with some, with some ability to, to put some points up. It's it's the new version of grit and grind. It's, it's glitz and shine. That's bad. That's a bad joke. We're not going to use that. But I'm impressed with what I've seen, and, and Ja is the truth. I knew he would be, but he's even more so than I thought he would be. That's great to see. I love seeing stuff like that. Players fulfilling, living up to the to their hype. That's awesome. The Detroit Pistons, Blake Griffin. Detroit Pistons was a team that I told you before the season. I did not like 
the hype that they were receiving for a playoff lock near top top they were they were top seven seed. They have fallen down to below the Bulls now, who is who are in tenth. The Pistons have not had Blake Griffin for much of the season. He was considering having season-ending surgery. Derrick Rose is having some very solid numbers. I think averaging nearly 25 points off the, on the bench right now. They've also got rumors of trading Andre Drummond, who I'm not sure where he's going to go, which is funny because he could actually the Bulls could actually use him right now, especially with Wendell Carter. But that team, I told you, it was like a paper tiger. You just knew that there wasn't too much to it. There's First of all, you're counting on Griffin and Rose, and that's an injury waiting to happen between the two of them. It sucks to see because both of them have kind of adapted their games to not be nearly as reliant on their athleticism that's been diminished since they were in their primes, but they're still very good players, and it was an interesting combination to see what could come of it. Obviously nothing. That's that's disappointing to see, but I just don't know what people thought they were going to get out of it, honestly. Like I said, they were getting put up there in the seventh seed, and I thought the Bulls could leapfrog them. They have, but just not the way that I'd wanted them to. So I guess I have to ask, should the Bulls try to go get Derrick Rose? I mean, I wouldn't be mad at it. He's a scorer. They, don't, they do need scoring, but they really need a, a point guard who can score. And man, you know what? Forget it. We're going to go all the way see Red Nation. They should go get Derrick Rose back, man. The, the, he's not going anywhere with the Pistons. You can trade them Chris Dunn and give them – Man, you can give them Luke Cornette or something. I'm not sure. I got to check out the numbers on that. But if they wanted to get Rose back, I think that would be a nice. You can have three guard lines with Rose, Kobe, and Zach. That's nasty. I I just the Pistons, man. I I don't know why everybody was so sold. I know we saw what they did last year and they got there, but Blake was healthy for the first time in a while, and he didn't even play in the playoffs. So I I just I was never high, and we just we kind of see that coming to fruition now. The Lakers, who played the Pistons the other night, blocked 20 shots. Just want to throw that out there because, as again, here in the Chicago area, the Chicago Bulls are struggling with rim protection. And you got the Lakers just casually with guys with five-plus blocks apiece, three guys, and they're just, just swatting shots. Nobody's business, 20 shots, no big deal, you know, whatever. Brett Brown of the Philadelphia 76ers, the head coach of the Philadelphia 76ers, acknowledges that Ben Simmons is basically ignoring his coaching. He says that they've spoken about Ben taking threes, and he still does not do so. That clearly is, is pointing to Ben Simmons ignoring his coach, and people are wanting to say that this shows a rift. I just think it's a, a symptom of Ben being more comfortable that way, and that's just the way he's going to play. That just goes to the fit aspect of this team, and people always talk about how they really don't go together, he and Embiid two post players that are kind of forced to share the same space right now and you see it being a clash you see it on the floor all the time i'm very big on ben if if the sixers are looking to move him hey bounce him on this way they can have lowry and sato and they can have kobe i i'd probably want to keep Kobe. they can have Otto, and they can have lowry and we give them sato however we got to make the money work i got to check those financials too but I would love to have Ben Simmons here with Zach Levine. I think that would be set up great. That would be awesome because he would have a running mate and he would have somebody who could dish the ball. Zach would have a guy to keep the ball out of his hands and Ben would have somebody who he knows is willing to take a shot and won't be clogging his area down low. You could put Ben at the power four. You could put Ben at the three if you keep Lowry. I, if that's a move that the Sixers are ultimately trying to make, they're not. They're nowhere close to making that deal. But if they ever do, we'll get called people over there at the Madhouse on Madison and see what's up. Another note from the Sixers, Joel Embiid 
dislocated his finger. And I'm not going to put the image up, but you can do a quick search on Twitter, on the Google, whatever. That thing looked like Booger McFarland. If you know, the, the, the Brian Baldinger, the, where the ring finger is just off into the whole other direction, it was nasty. And what made it even nastier is that my man came back. Respect a bit to Joel, came back, finished with 18, 9, and 8. Uh, ben had 17, 15, and 8. Seeing his finger, I thought he was done. I didn't even know he came back to finish the game. That's how nasty it looked. Like he he kind of had it. He falls, looks up and at it, and it's just it's it's off to the side. His finger was throwing up gang signs, and he wasn't. It was bad. Um, tough dude. I know we talk about him a lot, and you can talk about how you don't like his style of play and how there was a big thread on Twitter the other day about how he's killing. He's a dinosaur. And they're they're acquiescing to him instead of Ben, who's the dynamic player and whatever. I'm not going to get our oddest. Honestly, that's just a matter of preference and style of play. But that's tough. That finger was gross. Okay. <laughs> Flat out point blank period. Speaking of injuries, my boy Markel Fultz is out here doing his thing. Recorded a career high 25 points in the Magic for the Magic tonight. 25, 5, and 4. Actually, five boards, four assists. Love to see that. You know, he had that battle with the, with the thoracic outlet syndrome. He was one of that litany of picks from the 76ers that all dealt with injuries in their first year. Played 15 games last year. Played in 16 games, but started 15 games. Something along those lines. Just love to see him, him balling out. Orlando took a, a chance on a player who was oft injured and might be getting might be ready to reap some of those rewards. Kind, kind of sounds similar to the story I wrote for Pippen Ain't Easy about Michael Porter Jr. and how the Bulls could ultimately regret picking the safer, still st- still stable, but nevertheless, lower ceiling Wendell Carter over Michael Porter Jr., the player with the long injury history, but we've seen the highest ceiling that he has displayed in the short time and the times when he's been given that long leash. I think that they, they missed the boat. I think that the or the Orlando Magic kind of not necessarily prove it because Fultz hasn't done it for an extended period of time yet. But what we've seen from Porter in that limited amount of time, his his limited exposure, what we've seen from Fultz this season, show why you take these players, especially if it's second hand, because you're not paying the same price as you were to get them. The the Magic had to give up. Who did they trade them for? First, did I give them a first back? It wasn't. It's not nearly the same. It's not a one for one deal. Period. No matter what it was, it wasn't the first pick. Okay, we'll we'll put it that way. So if you can ever come up where you you have a chance to acquire a, a top five talent, top three talent, I don't know how you pass that up for the sake of passing it up because you don't want to give up the assets. And that kind of brings me to my Bulls point that they were rumored to have turned down a trade for Lonzo Ball. Again. I told you earlier in the show about how the Bears, with Trubisky, the Chicago teams have a tendency to fall in love with their players, their picks, and their guys, and not want to make a move for the sake of getting better, simply trying to maintain some kind of fake PR that they don't really have, because they're, especially with the Bulls. They, turning down Alonzo Ball show when you need, Alonzo Ball is what Tom Tomas Sadoransky is on steroids. And he seems to have worked out a shot this year, and we know that he plays and he makes his teammates better because he finds them shots and finds them in the right spots on the floor. I just don't know how they didn't even think about going to look for or talk about a deal for that guy. And if they can still do it, you need to go ahead and do it. Now, he probably will be staking around in New Orleans because they have a nice little cord growing together. But that just seems very short-sighted on the Bulls' part, and I'm not sure what they're thinking. I have to look more into that one, too, to find out why 
But it, like I said, it was just a rumor that I saw floating around, and I saw it a couple places, so it just kind of caught me off guard last minute. Like, wait, hold on. I, 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 let me find out y'all out here turning down trades for Lonzo Ball because of the group that we have right now, and this team is doing what they're doing on the floor. The Now, I spoke on Sada, right? Tonight, though, he had a career-high 14 assists. <laughs> um, they did lose to the Mavericks 110-118. to They blew it down the stretch. Missing some key shots. Wendell Carter went out with the, high, with the ankle sprain. Levine's dealing with one. Gafford had an injury scare. They had a slow start in the first quarter, but they allowed, what's, and this is defensively, though, they allowed the Mavericks to score 33 or 34 points in the first quarter. Luka Doncic. And, listen, I was a doubter of Luka's, but I've been making it a point that whenever it's a chance to bring up how good he's been, I do so as part of my mea culpa. So this is that. Again, I was wrong. Luka's killing. Had another triple-double tonight. The man is, is – there was a tweet that I think from uh, Steve Nash. I'm probably missing who the tweet was from, but he said that he feels like – it was from Jerry West. He said that he feels like Luka could be better than Dirk. Now, it's a long way to go to get there, but you could see it. And I mean, the kid is is a natural. Now, I I was using before that he's been playing pro as a knock on him since he was 16. It's really a positive because you see how easy the game comes. He understands it. He might need to stop smiling every time he clowns somebody before he gets himself because he's going to run across a player who doesn't care. Or somebody's going to clown him. He's gonna, not going to like it. But he seems to enjoy the game, and that's always a plus. I was wrong. I, mean, I, I don't know how else to wrap that part up other than saying that I was wrong and Luke is a, is a stud. And that that did the Bulls in the night. The other thing, and I'm going to write about this for Pippin Ain't Easy. Oh, I need to mention Lowry showed up tonight. 26-9. and nine. Zach had 25-7. and seven. He had a well-rounded game. He started off slow shooting the ball, but he was, like I said, very well-rounded. Five boards, seven assists. Zach's having a really good season, and I don't think anybody really realizes it because his shooting percentage has been down, but he's having a career high from three. He's doing his thing with the assists, and... We've seen him raise his field goal percent, his free throw percentage, especially as the season went on. Now we get those boneheaded games where he's he's forcing up shots late in the clock and he's doing a lot. But a lot of those games are when he's doing a lot, when he's doing the lifting by himself. Lowry showed up tonight and did most of the heavy lifting early, like I said. But we got to see that more. He's come around somewhat with his three point shooting, so maybe that'll pretend to better things. But he's still not getting to the boards with regularity. He's still struggling now. Part of it could be that he's having a lot more of his shots be assisted this year. He was creating a lot more by himself, but with this new ball, multi-ball hander system, he's not. He doesn't have the ball in his hands a lot to do as much. So he's having to get shots off of the pass, and maybe this is something that he's not as comfortable with as we thought because clearly it hasn't been working. The most concerning part, though, for this team is the video most concerning for some. Let me purpose with that because personally I don't care. But there was a video of Otto Porter, Shaq Harrison, Denzel, and Wendell, and I believe Archie, but I'm not sure about Archie. We're all at the club and they're dancing and they're a little bit lit, you know what I mean? And they're, they're having a good time. And there's some cl- complaints about, you know, this guy should be rehabbing. He's got a messed up foot and he's going to be on the, we're going to be on the hook for this big contract and he's out here clubbing. Look, personally, I don't care what players do in their downtime. But I have to acknowledge that it's not a very good look for you to be out here um, bopping around heavy. I mean, bopping heavy, having having a good time <laughs> when you're supposed to be rehabbing. It's after hours. There's no rehab going on right then anyway. But I definitely get the 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 people being upset with the imagery of it all, especially when you weren't playing great when you were on the floor. I just think it's another issue that this team is going to have to deal with 
with this season being what it is, and it's been kind of crazy, man. It's been up and down. They've improved on defense so much, but that offense has gotten so bad, and it's just it's 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 rough because you know that this is probably going to be what it's going to be for the rest of the year at least, and it might be for a good chunk next year too. So we've gone from all from them seemingly on the path to rebuilding their credibility to not only did they shoot it back to where it was, but they might have sunk even lower because they clearly don't know what they're, what's going on. They don't seem to have a plan and. Good luck figuring one out for them because a they're probably not going to listen to it, but b they've kind of dug themselves into a weird situation here where they where they I think they're dangerously close to having to blow it up again. That's just me personally. They definitely are looking at like they're going to be needing a point guard in the near future because an issue that I do have is Kobe's lack of playmaking, and that's what you need to watch out for on coming out of Pippen ain't easy. In the next day or so, I'm going to be looking into Kobe's. Lack of playmaking at this level versus the limited that we saw in college. That's something I think is concerning. And then we're going to wrap up with this story here. Stephon Marbury goes on a crazy, bizarre six-minute rant about LeBron. Talking about he can't shoot. I got to find the date on the video itself. But the post was from just a couple of days ago that I saw the video in. It was an embedded post, an embedded video. It's, this is this is this is worse than the Vaseline one. Like the Vaseline one, at least he was trying to be coherent and tell you what was going on. He just gets to go off about LeBron and talk about you can't shoot, and he was getting crowned the king, and he was seeing people treating him like this, and just felt like basically sound like he felt LeBron has been spoiled and is is just he, he got on him talking about how can you compare yourself to Jordan? It's really bizarre. Do yourself a favor if you want to have a a concerning laugh because at first you're like ha ha, then you think about wow this is a person and he might have something issue you know it might be something wrong with him. Go ahead and check that out. It, it's a six minute video. It's crazy and all that I can remember is you can't shoot. That's all that stuck with me a lot because he he wanted to make sure that everybody knew that uh, LeBron was not a good shooter. That's gonna do it for this episode of Triple Zeros. Follow me, man, on Twitter. At Josh G. Buck. The Facebook page is Jukes Jumps. The website is jukesandjumpers.wordpress.com. And of course, the email address is jukesjumps at gmail.com. Check out the writing at Last Word on Pro Football and Pippin' Ain't Easy. And until the very next time, y'all, peace.